Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Trey Sirtis. Trey, good afternoon. <laughs> hello, hello. You're sneaking in a quick episode right mm-hmm. before you get off to work. You're working the night shift mm-hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. And I am packing in also a busy week before my yeah. wife and I take a, a vacation, a little pre-baby, baby moon uh, vacation, yeah. which we're both very excited about. You and I were chatting a little bit before we, we hit the record button. This is sort of an interesting time for you at the Academic Medical Center. I always forget the specific timing. Is it July 1st is the big mm-hmm. or June? July 1st, July 1st. I mean, it, it, people, different programs have different dates that they start. But generally speaking, July 1st is the day that marks the turn of the academic year so that all residents move up one level or fellows. And um, all new interns begin, which our interns are newly graduated medical students starting residency. Which obviously no one's falling over saying, oh, you're saying that in your medical training that once a year, like everyone moves up at the same time, like sounds like every other school I've ever been to, with the exception of every school you've ever been to does not use part of your learning uh your learners as your workforce. Yeah. It's the transition of the workforce that makes mm-hmm. like higher level. What, what is residency called? Is it is it G, graduate medical education? Is that yep. what it's called? Graduate medical education. That makes, yeah, that makes graduate medical education so unique. A story that I think about is I wrote about workforce turnover related to a, a tech mm-hmm. company that had a big high mm-hmm. level of turnover at their relatively small company. And I said, oh my gosh, it's it's unthinkable that you'd have 25% of your company turnover. That's just an, an incredible amount of industry knowledge that would set your company back years. And I think you joked or, or you had responded like, uh, we do that every year. We, we turn over mm-hmm. such a large amount of our workforce because you, big academic institutions depend on having their, their graduate medical learners as mm-hmm. part of the workforce to see patients and mm-hmm. do the work every single mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I mean, again, the realities of the logistics of seeing patients is changing depending on your institution. But the general trend is that residents are seeing fewer and fewer patients during their training because of years of of what some might phrase as abuse, what others might phrase as necessary trial by fire and and needed growth. And, and there are pros and cons to both of those arguments, which we don't necessarily have to talk about. But the issue is, is that because institutions still have just as many, if not more patients to see during that same amount of time, they're finding ways to see those patients without residents. And so the pressure for institutions, or at least the instability that July 1st brings on an institutional level is deadened by that transition. So it's becoming much, I wouldn't say much more, but it's definitely improving to be more of an academic milestone as opposed to everyone like bracing in the hospital for this gigantic change. Okay, very cool. So what is it like? And first off, you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about this changing of the guard as, as part of your like what's working or what's good in healthcare. So I'm very mm-hmm. curious to hear your, your reflection on that. But but before we get to that, yeah. what is it like right now? I mean, is it is it chaotic? Is it is it smooth? It, it sounds intimidating when I think about just that much change all at once. Sure, sure. Yeah, I just got done with teaching, so that means I was on for two weeks in a row, and I was crossing over. So I started in the end of June, and I finished sort of just before mid July, and so you really witness that changeover from the old teams, particularly the old interns who are essentially masters at their job now having to transition out. And then the new bright eyed, bushy tailed 
interns starting and the difference in their kind of just emotion and ability and experience obviously is quite stark but it's still nice i don't i don't know i like both because i like the celebration of the interns who are finishing their internship and that excitement also fear because internship although extremely challenging like you're essentially tasked with knowing all the information and like doing the tasks like the the grunt work if you will of taking care of patients for the team and but the junior senior residents so the people who then they these interns are then going to become the position they'll hold they're doing less of the grunt work but then they're doing more of the cerebral work like figuring out okay well what is the plan and depends on who you're talking to and their individual abilities but that either really scares people or really uh, excites them because there is a certain security with a very narrow job skill set that internship asks you to do so yeah so it's exciting to see them and then of course it's super exciting to see the new interns coming in who again they just graduated medical school they just got their md they're really excited to actually practice to put in their orders and have them be their own orders right and not need a signature from another doctor who's supervising them like they did in medical school yeah it's just it's an exciting time that's great. And what, what is it about it that makes you think about the stimulus of mm. this is what reflects what's like working in yeah. healthcare, what feels what I'm encouraged by in healthcare right now? Because it's incredible. I, would, I mean, I think about, I mean, again, I think that a lot of other doctors and nurses and stuff like to dunk on the new interns because it's an easy audience and they're bottom of the totem pole of, of the doctors. And but when you think about it, I, I was reflecting on it. We have over a hundred, well, I, over a hundred residents in total at the program. But like this, this program, I think it must have sixty something interns who are coming in, and but they're coming from all different places, all across the country. They went to all different medical schools, and again, undergraduate medical education or medical school is pretty standardized. There are variances, but you have to cover these things. It's it's pretty closely scrutinized by the various governing bodies that watch it. So you do have to accomplish a certain standard, but if you reflect on it, like what other institutions accomplish that, that standardization in such a way that is tested pretty immediately? I mean, it's not like they can do anything, the interns don't show up and they could just do whatever, but they have very important tasks. Like they're tasked with quite a lot July 1st and ask anyone who's gone through it or anyone who is going through it actively, they'll say, wow, this is completely different than anything I've done. And so I, I just reflect on it and be like, despite that naivete, despite that inexperience, the fact that it works is incredible. It's incredible. Hmm. So. That's wild. That's yeah. really, really, I've never thought about it from that perspective that you have all of these moving pieces and yet the, the, the cohesive whole Mm -hmm. ends up being something that is very functional that does work and that reflects like what 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 works in healthcare which is that we have a, mm -hmm. a relatively very young healthcare education system that's training what mm -hmm. need to be very high performing physicians with a challenging job and it's it's not like we're relying on thousands of years of practice we're relying right. on in some you know, decades really of convention especially the new the new laws or the new regulations around right. how much time you can spend and all those different things that you can do that's really, that's really, really interesting. Um, it's impressive to me. And, and it's also impressive thinking about, we're not just talking about interns. We're talking about the residents who are finishing, depending on the program that you're at, 
your residency might finish a week beforehand so that it gives time for the residents, the finishing residents to get to their respective fellowships if they're pursuing it. So you don't just go from one day to the next. So, but regardless, July 1st still represents like, I am done with residency, it is now complete. And to just see that changeover too is really incredible. I think that a lot of people have very strong opinions about graduate medical education in terms of what is enough, because you've mentioned the the legislation that's kind of gone into reigning in the hours, reigning in the patients that residents have to suffer through. But it's still impressive to me that they can, despite the limitations in those hours and patient scene, I consistently see a vast majority of the residents who finish at the, our program are great. Like they, they're, they're, they're largely ready for the next challenge. It's not easy, but the next challenge. And, and that's, that's also just as impressive in my mind. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I, I'm very uh, intrigued that you get to be a part of that process. Cause that's something you, you and I talked about a lot that you've, you have a distinct perspective on in terms of, of your medical training journey and having you care a lot about working with learners and teaching and that's part of us doing this podcast and part of us doing mm-hmm. the translate your doctor service is really feeling like we're we're helping make healthcare better through mm-hmm. making an impact on on knowledge and on people's ability to really mm-hmm. understand certain concepts yeah yeah the yeah the something else that you and I've been uh, committing to do as part of this this show and uh, in season two is doing these sort of reflections and reactions on different mm-hmm. hot topics in the news. So our first week we talked about the United Healthcare backpedaling related to paying for emergency room visits. Mm-hmm. Last week we talked about the Vox article related to the uh, level of burnout amongst physicians, specifically related to COVID, but also just in general, this feeling like there's no way off of the treadmill. That once you get mm-hmm. on as a physician, there's no way, there's no way off. And reflecting on that with Michelle, who's who's such a wonderful person to to get her perspective on these topics, something she's passionate about. And this week, topical, and I think a little bit related to the United Healthcare conversation, is the President Biden executive order that was signed mm-hmm. this week. And the the article, uh, this is from the the National Law Review. Biden executive order addresses healthcare industry competition, targets pharmaceuticals, pricing, and hospital mergers. In, in an ambitious, far-reaching executive order signed on July 9th, 2021, President Biden announced a renewed focus by the federal government on the promotion of fair competition amongst American businesses. Specifically, Biden's order directs several federal agencies, including the Federal Trade Commission in conjunction with the Attorney General, to devise proposals to minimize anti-competitive conditions affecting the U.S. economy. And while the order contains 72 initiatives spanning over a dozen federal agencies of specific interest to the healthcare industry, are the following directives addressing competition to achieve the stated goal of improving healthcare in four key areas, prescription medications, hospitals, health insurance, hearing aids, which is oddly specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, the order highlights the Biden administration's view that in each of these four areas, the lack of competition increases prices and reduces access to quality care. Of particular note to healthcare industry participants are the order's initiatives at lowering drug prices, improving access to generics, and increasing government oversight on hospital consolidation mm-hmm. and mergers. Mm-hmm. And this is something that caught my eye because in, in a way it, it was related to the fact that in, in the healthcare industry and uh, in the healthcare insurance industry, you don't really have that much much choice. You do have these well-funded startups like Oscar, like Clover Health, but for the most part, you have four or five choices. And from a hospital and healthcare administration standpoint, we call that BUCA, B-U-C-A. So for the listener out there, it's Blue Cross Blue Shield, United Healthcare. Cigna, Aetna, and then you also have an H. It's like sort of a, like your vowel, sometimes Y, sometimes H, which is Humana. 
So those are your core health insurance options. And then each state now has these, uh, these exchange plans and you have these other sort of minor players. But it's kind of the big four in any healthcare marketplace when you're talking about who are people trying to garner favor with, who are people uh, on the lookout for. And United is one of the largest players in the in the nation due to the fact that they aren't just a large insurer, but they are also one of the largest employers of actual providers. I think they're the largest employer of medical providers in the country in terms of the number of uh, physicians they actually employ. So anyways, the any any gut reaction or, or, or um, thoughts on uh, this as a level of focus as we move forward with the Bidens, the anti the anti-competition, the uh, antitrust, the measures aimed at uh, promoting competition? I mean, I think that, again, this is why I like to hear your perspective, because I think that while I have opinions, they are rooted purely in opinion and not in Maxwell like measured fact. But my, my take and my opinion, again, would be that this is good. I mean, that giving people more options for the care that they seek is, is great. The devil's advocate in me says that, well, having larger institutions with bigger cash pools to offset risk as more and more people, you know, like essentially need that risk offset onto their insurance companies is benefited from larger institutions. But with the way the system has been working, it doesn't seem as though having those larger institutions like you describe only a few, only a handful has served that purpose as costs have increased for so many people. And many people have been priced out of those five. I think that when I, the kind of the, I guess the analogy I'm thinking of is like buying a car is if you only had to choose between BMW, Mercedes, Porsche, like all these expensive cars, and you were like, well, I can't, can't afford those cars. And it's like, you're not going to drive them. Can I, do I have options? But in the car market, you have a lot of options from affordable to obviously use, which is less relevant for this analogy, but from affordable all the way up to super luxurious. And it feels like the insurance market is increasingly luxurious only and uh, doesn't cater to others. That's my take. I don't know if that's the, the reality of it, especially given the institution I practice at, which largely serves people who have no funding really whatsoever, if even if they're lucky enough to get government funding. So. Yeah, th- this is, I think it's well said. I- I love this topic. I like healthcare mm-hmm. economics yeah. in, in general. I'm just really interested uh, in the in the the world that we're living in, as sad as it is in so many ways. Because I, like a lot of other Americans, I'm deeply proud of this country's capitalistic mm-hmm. history and the fact that capitalism is a is a source of a lot of a lot of good in, in this country. And then, of course, conversely, it has brought about some of the worst things that we've had to deal mm-hmm. with in this country. And healthcare is just a really really tricky thing to apply capitalistic incentives on because capitalism Mm -hmm. by definition separates haves and have nots. Now, when you're in a wealthy country like the United States, your have nots overall tend to still have a pretty okay time because when you, when you can look down on all the other uh, countries that, that uh, don't have it as well, it's not too bad to be a a less well-off American uh, citizen. But in the healthcare world, that's that is uniquely difficult, right? Because not being able to afford a nice computer is not the same thing as not being able to afford an appendectomy that you might you might need. And so, for that reason, cost and price and keeping the uh, the cost associated measures 
and healthcare under control is an incredibly dire task that we're asked to to tackle as healthcare professionals. And I do not think we've done a good job in this in this country is keeping costs under control and providing measures to make uh, reasonable healthcare accessible for all people. Now there are tons of discussions around personal choice and personal responsibility and, and all of these other things, of course, but I lean and I fall in the camp of believing that every single person in this country deserves affordable health care. No one should go mm-hmm. bankrupt trying to afford uh, health care, regardless of what led them to it. They could smoke a hundred pack, packs a day right. because my belief is that what's the old saying about better to let one uh, guilty man go free than, or right. better to let a hundred guilty men go free than let uh, one innocent man get convicted. Right. Better to let, you know, all the people that take the worst care of themselves get, get care than to let one person who tragically needs care and can't afford it get turned away. Yes. So yeah. with all of that as the preamble, um, I do believe that consolidation in, in healthcare is a problem. I believe that having only a few insurance companies is concerning. I believe that having uh, a large insurance company like United that has its arms in the pharmaceutical space and has its arms in the provider space, I believe that that's concerning. Mm-hmm. And may, not just because it's a challenge now, but where I'm most comfortable applying the slippery slope argument is in these cases, is that big businesses do not unwind. They only coil tighter. They only get big. That's how all of it works. So if United Healthcare is large and a massive force in healthcare now, what will it look like in five years? What will it look like in 10 years? What will their stake look like in the market? And something that has saved healthcare for the sort of consolidation that's taken over the tech industry and other large industries is the fact that healthcare is inherently local. It is hard mm-hmm. for Amazon mm-hmm. to come into Dallas, Texas and to take over the hospital industry because it's a service related industry and you have to have a physical mm-hmm. presence to make an impact. And this is one of the shadows I think related to the big telemedicine and televisit pushes that we've seen mm-hmm. lately is the fact that because there's been such an expansion in telemedicine and the ability to see providers virtually, we are seeing these tech companies make big pushes virtually to try to do a land grab. We see that with Amazon. Amazon, Amazon's uh, virtual care arm now has credentialed providers in all 50 states as they really sort of coil the spring. They get ready to jump into healthcare because when you look at where the market share opportunity is for these big companies, healthcare is this massive, massive two trillion, two and a half trillion dollar a year industry mm-hmm. where the big tech companies, if they want to go from two trillion dollars to four trillion dollars, they have to be able to take a piece of this healthcare pie. I've got a question for you that just popped into my mind. I am sort of curious, obviously two and a half trillion dollars is a lot of money. And obviously, like you described, not having not having a seat at the table of that market is perhaps annoying to those who, who involve themselves in, in the business of that tech. But I am just fascinated. Like, why do you think tech companies care so much? I think because it's such a large opportunity. Because it's one of those things that mm. it, it feels like there's such low hanging fruit. Because do you do you think that it's low hanging fruit? Do I think it's low-hanging fruit? I don't. Right. I think it's a lot more yeah. complicated and harder than it seems. But I think it, it is very easy to throw. Everyone has a bad mm-hmm. healthcare story, right? Oh, for Everyone. sure, for sure. I think that 
that is what tickles i imagine the brain of so many of these tech companies which largely have built themselves on solving problems reducing pain as you describe it and i think you're exactly right people have those bad experiences and so you can't help but be like oh i could do this better but i also agree with you this that sense of that it is just i don't think there are low-hanging fruit if that's been shown yeah, I agree. I, I think that there there's a low-hanging fruit in terms of things that you should tackle. There's not low-hanging fruit sure. in terms right, of right, how right, you right. tackle those things. I mean, the right. execution. Like, the <laughs> execution is not like... That's one of the funny things that I like to reflect on. Again, because I think that there's there are corollaries, right, between the individuals who pursue tech and physicians. They're usually very type A, very dedicated, smart people who really are competitive. That's That's... I think the different skill sets, et cetera, different motivations. But I think it's like very similar personalities in a lot of ways. And I just like to reflect on and wonder about when tech feels like Ooh, we can get involved. And I, and I just kind of sit back and be like, I, I don't think it's that easy. And it, it seems that way. So anyway, so I just, it just entered my mind because I, although it is a lot of money and although the pain is so obvious to, to them, I feel like it's kind of like, and this marks like when when our soldiers have left Afghanistan, this just recently happened and stuff. It kind of reminds me of the quagmire, and not not to get political, but just historically, people have gone to Afghanistan to control the region, and they just haven't been able to do it. And that's kind of what I imagine. It looks from the outside, Ooh, that's a place we could go to, and that's like a place we could like really get things in order. And like flash forward twenty years, and you're like, oh wow, that was way harder than I thought it would ever be. And why can't we just go someplace else? Like, why? Absolutely. I mean, a, a, a tangential article that we could have covered, mm -hmm. one that I read a couple of weeks ago, was the article the Wall Street Journal did a piece on Apple's healthcare venture. We've seen tech companies try right. to make big pushes and get pushed out. Apple, right. um, Google, you know, Google making a big health push. And, and what a lot of them are settling mm -hmm. for now is making plays around the edges right. of healthcare. Google is making a big data play right. and analytics play. Apple was making a device play right. with uh, ancillary devices. Amazon is making a services uh, play with targeting the services element. And they have a Amazon Web Services has a scribe, a scribing uh, tool that they... So you're seeing people pick these like right. individual uh, modalities. Lanes. Yes, lanes related to it. Microsoft wants to do, wants to use uh, their suite, cater their uh, Microsoft Office suite to like healthcare providers and I wouldn't be surprised if they've tried to sneak into the EMR electronic medical record space sure. in, in some roundabout way which I would frankly welcome don't don't mistake my questioning I think audience for Patrick that I don't feel like they should be in there I think that they do offer a lot of stuff in fact just to this point of the of this article or at least of this executive order that you're describing I think you want a diversity of opinions you don't want to rule by committee but you want a diversity of opinions about how you would crack a problem and it's a problem we've identified that that was the first season like it's a problem everybody gets that we didn't even need the season most people like you say have had experience that proves to them that the healthcare system is a problem so having more people uh, there is good i guess my thing is just i i guess my i question the motivation always because i think that unlike i it feels like the the 20 uh, tens when, and maybe before that, like just in the aughts themselves, tech seemed very gleaming, you know, and virtuous. And I think that now we're really starting to feel like the cost of all these things, both literal and figurative. 
And so it makes me wonder just as I'm reflecting on this, I was like, well, gosh, do I really want all these people at the table or what is their motivation? I should say, I do want them at the table, but what is their motivation? Is it just money? Because if it's money, I mean, Microsoft and Apple are worth as much as American healthcare, right? They're a little less, but $2 trillion. So, yeah. So they don't need the money. So do they want the they want the kill or do they want like the the yeah the only thing i would add on to that is that it i mean apple and uh, apple's worth is a two trillion dollar company america spends that on healthcare every single year america lights that's true. a big Fair enough. barrel Fair of two trillion dollars on fire every single <laughs> that's a, year that's a very that's good point that's a very good point but you see what i'm saying is Absolutely. there is 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 it the 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 cash prize is it is that what they're involved in or is it for the 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 sake of improving patient care and i bet you it's both i'm sure. just like I think it depends on who you talk to right these aren't monoliths right i think that it's just if, if the point of a business is to increase shareholder value and to improve mm-hmm. stakeholder like benefits those are two old school you know business school frames yeah. of thought this accomplishes both right if if, if you're a tech company and you believe that you, the world is better through your company existing, which many tech founders purportedly do, then it doesn't surprise me. It's like, well, we belong in healthcare. We're here to make healthcare better. And if you feel like we're a $2 trillion company needing to get to $3 trillion, right. where's the pie that we can right. cut into that can get us It'll to $3 get trillion? The fastest. Yeah, healthcare is a big, uh, is a big pie yeah. to, to, to go after. So do you feel like this executive order then is- trying to stimulate competition by stifling monopolization or mergers. Do you think that that aids or hampers or does not affect tech or other people breaking in? I think it's great for the consumer. I'm biased as a a healthcare entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. as someone that that wants to start a business in healthcare, and and I'm petrified of of all the gatekeepers that exist in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Gatekeepers are a problem in any industry. And in tech, I think you have this as a problem where the big tech companies just exist as gatekeepers because they they control so much. Mm -hmm. They, They take so much of the air out of the room. And in these big healthcare markets, it's the same thing with these. Every health, large healthcare market is controlled by one, two, or three healthcare brands. And there's just, there's, it, it would be a fool's errand in most uh, markets to try to start a hospital, to start an independent hospital. Yeah. You're, just, you're just not going to have the resources uh, to do that. And I think that that's really challenging for the consumer because having more gatekeepers, you can't start a healthcare startup. That, that's where the tech companies are having issues. So the only tech companies that have had success have, again, we talked about um, targeting the fringes, but have been going to consumers directly and having right. to bypass the insurance companies because you need insurance company buy-in right. in order to get uh, reimbursement for a lot of these these new ventures. Now, I, I want to add as an asterisk, in some ways that's appropriate because move fast and break things does not work in healthcare. So yeah. it's very, very appropriate to move cautiously and expeditiously. And for some of these um, companies to involve FDA approval, that's absolutely appropriate. It's more speaking to the fact that the w- when there's a broader pool of potential partners, there's an, it's easier to experiment. When there's a few highly concentrated power brokers, it is so, so difficult to be small and to try to get your foot in the door with yeah. what could potentially be a great idea. Yeah, I mean, think about the bringing it back to what we're talking about with new trainees. I mean, think about the training of physicians. I mean, they're just, that is so incredibly regulated, rightfully so. That is so 
narrow in terms of who offers it and where you can go, rightfully so. What is the consequence of that? Well, one can just waltz in and be a doctor, and therefore there are shortages because there are stopgaps about where these, where you can kind of control the entry of new physicians. And we're particularly seeing that now because all these cries for physician, that there are physician shortages. I would say that, yes, that is part of it. And this is another episode, but it's also physician re reallocation. Like, where are those physicians? And because throw a rock in Texas, most Texas, most metropolises in the United States, and you'll find 27 ophthalmologists, but wander 100, 150 miles outside of the city limits. And good luck trying to find pretty much most specialists, at yeah. least choice. And so, yeah, so I agree with you that gatekeeping is necessary for the protection of vulnerable populace. Patients are one of those things. That's why we have judges, right? I presume I'm not a legal scholar, obviously, but there's a reason why we have to protect those who are not deemed criminals yet, but are in the process of having yeah. it decided. And I guess I just don't feel like those tech companies have proven themselves to, to care. Like, I just, I just don't believe them. Like when they're it's like when they're talking about privacy, like if you can't get privacy right, how can I expect you to get, again, privacy in healthcare, but just healthcare, right? Which is infinitely more complex than just keeping people's information secret. Yeah. And I think that that's what I think myself and a lot of physicians kind of smirk at, whether that's fair, because we're not doing a good job either, but kind of smirk at because it's not that simple to just come in here and be like, oh, I'm going to make some device that everybody's going to buy and like the Apple watch, if we're talking about that and everybody will know who if they have AFib or not. And so, well, that, it's not that simple. So anyways, no. I don't mean to take it off, but I just, I, it's fascinating to me. I know we're talking about stifling the current environment, stifling competition, which is limiting patient choice. And so how do we introduce patient choice? And the, and the tech companies just seem easy to pick on because they have so much money and they're able to, like you're talking about metaphorically start that hospital they're they're able to put forth that money yeah it's going to be something definitely worth keeping an eye on i'm very curious to see if if the is it the ftc that does the antitrust stuff i can't remember off the top of my head but if we see any antitrust movement against large entrenched healthcare interests again i think it's it's good for the consumer i think increased competition is great for the for every market especially around lowering cost because as i've as i've yeah. mentioned to you before lowering cost means taking money away from someone because one person's cost right. is another person's revenue and no one in healthcare is volunteering for a pay cut so the only way to really make the changes that everyone wants to see in healthcare is to promote an environment where change can happen which means decentralizing less concentration of control and, and seeing more uh, competitiveness in, all around the industry. So something we're, we're definitely going to keep uh, keep an eye on. Do you feel like, what, what, what do you feel like patients can do to help with this? I mean, I think it feels like one of those things that's so big, similar to politics, that individuals feel extremely powerless and don't know how to participate. My, I think I have a, an opinion, which is use your physician, go through your physician and try and hope that your physician can be your representative but I don't even know if that's sufficient because I think the tide that fights with and against physicians is just, yeah, makes it really hard to advocate. 
Yeah, I'm not sure there's anything that really a bottom line consumer can do actively. I would say if your physician is still using paper, you might <laughs> you might not be using the physician that's going to keep you abreast of the most progressive things happening in in the healthcare yeah. industry. The other thing I would say be a smart shopper. If you're if you're shopping for health insurance, if you're shopping for Keep an open mind around anyone that, that might be new in the space. Be cautious, of course, with people without an established track record, but also be, cons- be considerate if there are companies that you've, that you've heard of. For example, startups in the primary mm-hmm. care space specifically targeted towards the trans community. I love mm-hmm. it. I, I love that there are these companies out there that are, that are trying to meet a need. So back to mm-hmm. our, our comment on being smart shoppers within healthcare in general for patients, if you have an unmet need or you you've had a hard time getting what getting the care you deserve as a patient, mm-hmm. you should be a conscious a conscious shopper. Maggie Teleska taught us a lot mm-hmm. about Facebook mm-hmm. groups, support groups, how essential they are for for increasing uh, your horizons. There's so much in my life I've needed someone else to tell me or illuminate for me that I would never have found just on on my own. So that's the value of also having a, a network of people, especially if, if, again, you have an unmet need of some kind yeah. medically that can help uh, expand your horizons. And do you feel like this it could be its own episode, but do you feel like what is termed single payer or at least federally delivered healthcare, either solely or partially, I would say we're already delivering partially, right? With, Medicare, Medicaid, but we'll just say fully, is a feasible option. We'll take the moralistic side out. We'll take logistical side out. But the only like caveat I would put on it is that can we trust traditionally capitalistic companies to perform a social good? That's what it comes down to. I don't think I don't think so. Without I think regulation. fixes everything. It doesn't fix everything. But I think competent regulation, we have that in every week. The government is in everything, right? The government Mm -hmm. is in graduate medical education. The government is in air travel. The government is in, I think it is highly appropriate to have guidelines and rules that govern Mm -hmm. certain behavior. So I'm not one to balk at at, uh, appropriate regulation in any industry that's a foundation of our of this country Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. is is having referees make sure that everyone's Mm -hmm. playing by the rules. I think having a public option, especially related to the safety net, what Medicaid really should have been, but but Medicaid in this right. in, in so many states in this country is really a, a joke and not sufficient for my money and in my perspective. I think having a more robust public option for people that would desire it, even if it's just a safety safety Correct. net, high deductible plan, catastrophic uh, health insurance, something affordable for the average person. I think would be would be highly appropriate. Do I ever see us moving towards a, a robust <laughs> public option? Not a chance. I think every single healthcare entity collecting any amount of money yeah. would would line up to oppose any sort of robust public option because it's too big a threat. Too many health right. established healthcare entities are making too much money right. to risk any sort of public option disrupting the the cash cow that so many people are getting right now. Yeah. Which, which I think is well, well, very well said. And, and I still think about it. I, I don't have as much, the longer that I do this and the more patients that I take care of, I'm left at the end with the pain that people experience with the system from a variety of mechanisms. It's not always financial, right? We, one of the reasons why I'm so interested in, in education is as well as patient advocacy, like having patients advocate for themselves is because it's, it's a way to control for quality. It's a way to ensure that the physicians you're training are better qualified 
to see patients and are delivering better care, but then also having your patient being able to translate their doctor and work and get the most out of them also improves quality and gives a little bit of power to the patient where they have power. Because like you say, this relationship is hyper-local. It's in a room and no matter how big the tech company thinks that they, they can come in, even the government, I, I just I just don't think that you can legislate that relationship. So how can you, but you got to affect it, right? Because if it's not, if it's not doing the job, then there are got to be ways to affect it. And yeah, I feel like many of the ways we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about both in and out of Translator Doctor represent that. And I think that bringing it back to this executive order, it's not legislation, right? It's not in the traditional sense. So that's what I worry about, right? Which is it'll just be turned over. But but at least it is a signal to say this is important for the administration. And I think it's a, hopefully we'll get people's support behind it. The, the, the fear that I think I have is that so much in healthcare, um, patients just don't know. They yeah. just don't know what it means. They don't know what that means. What does? And I'm not saying they're stupid. Like I barely do means i think that it's not a question of intelligence it's a question of gatekeeping like john described but also trust and jargon and complexity and all these things that go into the legislation of healthcare. yeah i think that's very well said and i'm going to give you the last word on this topic trey we've got <laughs> you to don't want you... the last word i feel like you should have the last word nope we got to get you out the door we got to get okay. you out the door okay. to your okay. shift we got to keep yeah. you on time mm-hmm. As always, I will encourage everyone to visit us at translateyourdoctor.com. If you're interested in chatting with Trey or I, always email us at translateyourdoctor at gmail.com. Like us, comment us, send us to your, to a friend. Whatever you can do to promote us, to share us with someone that you care about that's who's a healthcare nerd like we are, we would love it. As always, my friend, thank you so much and have yeah. a great shift tonight. Thanks so much, Patrick. See you.